And welcome in to the Wednesday edition of the show, all about what's going on across the Southeast. John Rawl is my name, and this is Y'all Talk with an Accent on All Things Southern. Good to have you aboard. We've got a very, very active midweek edition of the show that shakes the Southland. We've got news from across the Southeast here in the opening moments of this first hour. We've got sports news to pass along, believe it or not. We're just hours away from a whole host of NFL preseason games. It's preseason week number one. Now, I know they had the thing last week in Canton, Ohio, but outside of that, most of the teams are kicking off on Thursday or some on Friday and even a few more, I think, on Saturday. We're going to walk through the preseason week one schedule for the National Football League and our Southern Sports Update coming up in just a few moments, plus some news out of Major League Baseball and some college news to pass along as well as we cover all Southern sports stuff here on the Y'all Show. Before this first hour is up, we've got hashtag hullabaloo, and we're going to go online and learn all about what Mama said, that and so much more as part of our hashtag, hashtag hullabaloo where we go on social media and find things about the South, and we relay that all to you here at the Y'all Show. Hour number two today, we've got more headlines to pass along to you. And then we will continue on with our Southern College Football Tour for 2023. This day, we're going to be at the Swamp in Gainesville, Florida, as the Florida Gators are our featured school. You'll hear much more about Billy Napier and what he's got planned for the Gators in year number two. It's Florida Gator football, and we're going to walk through the 2023 schedule, give you an idea what to expect if you're a Gator fan. All that coming up in our Southern Sports Update in the second hour. We also have business news that we pass along to you each and every week. We'll do that at the end of our second hour. Hour three today, Megan Headwall will be on, and we're going to talk about Spotify and some tricks. If you've got Spotify or other streaming video apps and streaming audio apps, some tricks and tips that you might want to be aware of if you have those services, especially if you use them while exercising. So she's going to come on and we're going to have some technological fun with Megan Headwall in our final hour today. Plus, we've got a couple of big NFL slash college football connections that are celebrating birthdays on this ninth day of August. Happy birthday, Doug Williams, Super Bowl champion, MVP quarterback of the Washington Redskins, and of course played his college ball for the Grambling Tigers. Doug Williams' birthday is today, and Deion Sanders, a.k.a. Primetime, a.k.o. Coach Sanders of the Colorado Buffaloes. His birthday today, we'll let you know about the Fort Myers kid. All that is part of our Southern History Spotlight at the end of hour number three. That's a full show, y'all. If you want to get involved with the program, it's easy to do so. You can drop us an email anytime, and that's M-A-I-L, mail at yall.com, mail at y'all.com. We also have the Y'all Show 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week text line, and it's open, and you can give us a buzz at 615-208-4184. Would love to have you as part of the program. Well, I hope you all have had a great Wednesday thus far. We've got this active show that we're going to be sharing with you momentarily, but let me just take a second and Thank all of our listeners who catch us each and every day in podcast form as the Y'all Show is available on Spotify. It's also on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn app, 
TuneIn app, and it's also in Apple iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Check it out. It's free of charge. If you're looking for it, it's just under the name Y'all Show, and you'll see the beautiful red, white, and black logo of this program awaiting your free subscription. And to subscribe, all you actually have to do is either hit subscribe or like or follow. It all depends on the particular app that you're using, but it's pretty, pretty easy to find the show. And then it's even easier to remain part of the show because let the show come to you each and every day. That's all it takes here at the Y'all Show. Picking up our news headlines of this first hour, a member of what's called the Tennessee Three looks like she's heading to Washington, perhaps. State Senator Gloria Johnson, she is out of the Knoxville area, and the 61-year-old lawmaker who has been a state representative in Nashville has now launched an exploratory committee considering running for U.S. Senate. That is a seat currently held by Marsha Blackburn, and that is a seat up for re-election in 2024. Gloria Johnson filing this exploratory paperwork, a step that usually comes just before officially launching a campaign. She did that last week. By filing this paperwork, it allows her to start raising money to support efforts like traveling and polling without officially becoming a candidate. Now, it's not required to run for political office, but it can help boost a candidate's profile. In a statement, Gloria Johnson, the Democrat from, again, the Knoxville area, who was part of this Tennessee Three, that was the group of Tennessee House members who got into a little brouhaha, if you will, with the fellow members of the Tennessee House and this all followed the Covenant Presbyterian school shooting earlier this year, they ended up being two of the three kicked out of the Tennessee State House. Gloria Johnson, by one vote, was not expunged from the State House, but she was part of the group that was reprimanded. And so she's now looking to take that fame and go and run for U.S. Senate in an extremely ruby-red state of Tennessee. The state House Representative Johnson had a statement that read, Tennessee has a senator that stands with bullies. I have a reputation for standing up to bullies. I'm taking a serious look at this race and having great conversations with folks who are hungry for better leadership in Washington. Now, she's expected to face Marsha Blackburn in a re-election bid for Blackburn for U.S. Senate. Tennessee has not elected a Democrat to statewide office since 2006. Johnson's been a very vocal critic of Marsha Blackburn for a long time. And we'll find out how, indeed, she fares if they go up against each other in 2024. But, yes, it looks like Marsha's going to have a a challenger. I wouldn't call her a formidable challenger. Most people in Tennessee never even heard of this woman until she was packaged with the other two radical members of the Tennessee House, one from the Nashville area, one from the Memphis area, when this whole brouhaha, as I called it, happened after the Covenant Presbyterian Church shooting and and school shooting there at the Presbyterian Church. And I don't know what all the rules and bylaws are of Tennessee's State House, but if you ever saw the video, these people acted like fools. And I'm sure the people in the State House of Tennessee didn't want to kick them out if they didn't have to. But they did. 
And the really ugly part was they kick out the two black members, but the one white woman by one vote is not kicked out. Now, the way Tennessee works, that these members ended up essentially getting reelected almost immediately. In fact, this week, the other two officially are going to be back in the Tennessee State House. And so Johnson never lost her seat. But these people did act up, and I don't know what you could have done to slap them on the hand for acting like crazies when they went in there with bullhorns and more, joining the chants and cries for action by protesters in the public galleries outside of the State House chamber in Nashville. As Johnson was joined in those protests by the other what's called Tennessee Three Members Representatives Justin Pearson and Justin Jones, the two Justins, and then Johnson, the lady from Knoxville. But she's capitalizing on this newfound fame. She even got invited. You might remember the Tennessee Three were invited to go to the White House to meet President Biden after all this. And yes, Blackburn, actually, I should point out, she's already come out through her campaign spokesperson with a statement about Johnson potentially running. The statement reads, At the urging of Washington liberals, Gloria Johnson has taken another critical step towards joining liberal Democrat Marquita Bradshaw in the Tennessee Senate Democratic primary. Both of them are radical socialists who are aligned with Joe Biden's failed policies that are making Tennesseans' lives tougher every day. Love these political statements and... This woman, Johnson's calling Marsha Blackburn a bully. That was a bully-type statement, although Marsha didn't draft that thing. It was actually written by one of her campaign spokespeople. But yes, it is a possibility that you've got one of these Tennessee Three members going up against Marsha Blackburn, and I think it's going to happen based on what we're reading here in this exploratory committee that's being formed. Sad news out of Dillon County in South Carolina. The sheriff there, Douglas Humbunny Purnell, has died in office. He died at his home Monday, according to the Dillon County Coroner's Office. The 61-year-old worked Monday and didn't seem to have any problems before he collapsed in his home. Deputies and other law enforcement officers escorted the sheriff and his body to Myrtle Beach for an autopsy. Myrtle Beach is about 60 miles from Dillon. Dillon is right on the... North Carolina, South Carolina border. It is the home of South of the Border, Dillon County, South Carolina, the tourist trap that's right on Interstate 95 for anybody going between, let's say, New York and Florida. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, Dillon County's most famous landmark is South of the Border. But unfortunately, the sheriff collapsing and dying at his home in Dillon, South Carolina. He worked for law enforcement and in that profession for more than 30 years. He was elected Dillon County Sheriff in 2020 under South Carolina state law. Chief Deputy Larry Abraham will act as sheriff until the governor can appoint a new sheriff leading up to a special election. Again, Dillon County, South Carolina Sheriff Douglas Humbunny, H-U-M-B-U-N-N-Y, Humbunny Purnell, dying at age 61 suddenly earlier in the week. Now, we also told you on the Tuesday show about how those awful storms passed through the southeast, and a 15-year-old child in South Carolina died when a tree fell on his grandparents' garage, and he was killed in Anderson, South Carolina. We told you that youngster's name Tuesday. We did not know the name 
of the Alabama man who was killed by lightning in Florence, Alabama. But we now can relay that information because Monday, unfortunately, 28-year-old Marquine Russell of Florence, Alabama, he died following an incident that happened in the parking lot of the Florence Industrial Park as Florence, Alabama Police Sergeant Ryan Kelly has announced the death of Marquine Russell, Russell there in Florence, Alabama. Florence Police Fire and EMS responded to a medical call and found that Russell had been struck by lightning and the man succumbed to injuries he received during that storm that passed through North Alabama Monday. A lot of summer storms went throughout Alabama, Georgia, that awful one in Anderson, South Carolina that ended up killing the 15-year-old. And so we now know the name of the Florence, Alabama victim, 28-year-old Marquine Russell. In the state of Florida, Florida sex traffickers have been busted in that state. And the reason this pair of victims, are the perpetrators here in this state, the reason they were busted, it was because of the diligent work of a hotel worker. As the hotel clerk notified police after discovering two victims sitting on the bed with a suspect and there was a condom in the room as well. And it was a sex trafficking operation going on. Police arrested 44-year-old Richard Flores, 44-year-old Maria Barrios Calero, also arrested at the Lago Motor Inn in Lake Worth Beach over the weekend. Authorities assert that Calero coordinated the prostitution of two minor victims, both of whom were rescued by police during the arrest. And again, all because of the diligent work of this hotel clerk, the commercial sex trafficking operation was discovered by this clerk who entered the room and found the two victims sitting on a bed with Flores. The clerk also, again, noticing that there was a condom in the room, and the witness stated he called police after observing how the young how young the two females appeared to be, and also their demeanor. Consent to search the room was provided by the hotel clerk, which resulted in locating other things in that room that shouldn't have been there. So, hey, this is a reminder that we got a lot of good people out there in this world, people who see things, report things, that, yes, they snitch. But snitching is a way that keeps people in check. Snitching's not a bad thing. I'm tired of people who know better, who keep their freaking mouth shut because of their wor- they're worried about some idiot coming back and getting them. If you see wrong, report it. That's my one cent's worth of opinion on this subject. Thank you, hotel clerk. There are two less members of the sexual trafficking ring thanks to this hotel clerk doing the right thing. Ron DeSantis is trying to do the right thing. He has switched out his campaign manager, having a reload, he describes it. James Uthmeyer is taking over for Janaria Pack, the governor replacing that campaign manager, replacing Peck with a trusted political advisor who's worked for him for several years but has little campaign experience. He handed this campaign manager role over to James Uthmeyer, pulling the staffer up from his original position as chief of staff in the gubernatorial office in Tallahassee. The change is the latest in a what's called reload of the DeSantis campaign. 
as he's continuing to have poor polling numbers. While Peck is going to stay on with the campaign as chief strategist, this move comes just a couple of weeks after top DeSantis campaign and outside advisors insisted that Peck's job steering the governor's White House bid was safe. Hmm. He's having a hard time. I think a large part of DeSantis' hard time, the 44-year-old governor can't catch a break when it comes to Donald Trump. Because just when you thought that things would be unraveling for Trump, his popularity grows with each indictment that comes his way. It doesn't help that DeSantis has also had negative things happen in his campaign from the rollout on Apple, or actually what on Apple, it was on Twitter. That rollout was a disaster. And then you also had some, that the whole Disney thing just has not been the best story. I'm sure one day if DeSantis can't become president in 2024, you have to not look at Trump. You have to look at Mickey Mouse as a realistic reason that DeSantis just couldn't pull it off as much as he may be popular in Florida. The rest of the country likes Mickey Mouse. And DeSantis has been kind of Mickey Mousing his way through this campaign. And that ain't going to fly. You hear me there, Bugs Bunny? (laughs) So a new campaign strategist for the DeSantis 2024 campaign. Arkansas has a new state treasurer sworn in Monday at the state capitol. Larry W. Walther, sworn in as state treasurer by Supreme Court Justice Cody Hillen. Walther had previously been the Department of Finance and Administration secretary. He was appointed to the job of Arkansas state treasurer by Governor Sarah Sanders last week. He was appointed after the sudden death of Treasurer Mark Lowry. Lowry passed away back on July 26. And so Walther comes in as the new Arkansas state treasurer. He has worked in the administration of three governors of the natural state, and he's also worked in the administrations of two United States presidents throughout the tenure of this guy. He worked for President George W. Bush. He nominated him to serve as Director of U.S. Trade and Development back in 2008, and then President Obama nominated Walther for the Board of Directors of the Export-Import Bank of the United States. And that was back in 2011, a position of which he was confirmed to have to have that job. So a new position there in statewide office. Again, all this follows the death, the untimely death of Mark Lowry back on July 26. Some Trump news. The courthouse in Atlanta is ramping up security over a potential. Did I, didn't I just say something about an indictment of President Trump? Yeah. Well, the courthouse in Fulton County is gearing up security because it appears the fourth presidential President Trump indictment is forthcoming. As Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis planned to present her case to a grand jury sometime this month and outside the Fulton County Courthouse in Atlanta, there is definitely ramped up security. Officers from multiple police departments are right now on patrol outside the courthouse, along with bomb-sniffing dogs for media vehicles. The street outside the courthouse has also been closed off with barriers. It looks like a war zone, if you want to know the truth. So I would avoid that area 
if you're going to be motoring around downtown Atlanta any, anytime soon, stay away from that big courthouse there, the Fulton County Courthouse in the Atlanta area, because it's um, they're they're looking forward to something fun, and it's definitely got indictment written all over it. Now I have we've already had three of these things, and very limited pushback by Trump supporters in the previous three. I'm not saying I'm pulling for it to happen, but if it's going to happen, it's going to happen in Atlanta. Remember, this is a state-led investigation into Trump. It's not federal in this case. And I think this is purely political coming out of Atlanta. And this is a state that is certainly within earshot of huge, huge Trump support. We're talking a county away, two counties away, and definitely all the states surrounding Georgia are 100% for Trump, at least on the Republican side. And uh, I may be a little bit off there, but they're Trump. It's, it's Trump country. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And I would say a heck of a lot of Georgia is Trump country too. And for them to try to pull these charges off against him in the state capital of Atlanta is going to be pretty pretty risky from a safety standpoint. We hope that everything turns out to be as safe as it possibly can. But I think if, if one of the reasons I'm saying what I'm saying is because this is in Georgia, they know it's coming. This is a media hub. It's going to be a lot of cameras. So a lot of the people that want to be causing problems can be seen on TV. It's hot out here. So emotions are going to definitely be ramped up. And I really think you're going to have because of it being in Atlanta, a lot of protesters against Donald Trump out there. So that's going to help draw the pro-Trump people to say, let's go out here and yell at these people. It's going to be a, it's going to be an ugly scene. I, I predict sadly, and it wouldn't, it doesn't have to be this way. This funny Willis does not be, she does not need to be pushing this thing, but maybe she knows something. I don't know. We will find out. That's why they have court cases and more. And in our final story of the hour, we take you to a story about robo-taxis. Are y'all ready for a robo-taxi ride? Waymo is a company that has the Alphabet-owned autonomous vehicle. They're going to begin offering ride-hailing services in Austin, Texas. Austin is the fourth major city to allow Waymo's autonomous ride-hailing program Currently, you can catch these things in Phoenix, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. But now coming to Austin, Texas, you can, again, hail this non-human-driven taxi. The autonomous vehicle company Waymo, which is owned by Alphabet, if you know who that is. And it is officially entering the land of Breakfast Tacos, Austin, Texas. An announcement Wednesday about this as they'll have this service available night and day in areas such as downtown Austin, Barton Hills, Hyde Park, Riverside. The company is going to Austin because of its fast-growing economy. It's also influential in its decision to expand its services to the city, as well as Austin's dense population. Nearly 2.5 million people call Austin, Texas home. And the company has raised at least $5.5 billion in funding since Alphabet set up Waymo as its own entity in 2016. 
So there's a lot of money being poured into this for this autonomous taxi the, the uh, vehicle company. You can ride in an electric Jaguar, for example. And this autonomous vehicle company, Waymo, coming to Austin, Texas, in the very near future. I think I'll pass on that. Austin, Texas was one of the only places I've nearly met my maker as I was out there many years ago. And I got invited to go to a musical showcase with Miranda Lambert and Trent Willman, another country music singer. And it was held at Stubbs Barbecue, a famous place in Austin. And it was within, within walking distance of my hotel room there in Austin. And I had had a few extra Texas beers, you could say, probably. And I wasn't quite, I wasn't totally drunk. I just was under the influence. I was walking back to my hotel. And I, I don't want to blame myself, but I, I nearly got run over. I did, and I'm sure it would have been my fault if, if you would have had the replay of what happened. So just be careful. Again, even walking can be dangerous if you're under the influence, and I was, in, in that case, probably a little bit more tipsy than I should have been, and I almost met my maker because I almost stepped out in front of a fast-driving car. I think I was in the wrong, but that car could have been in the wrong. I really don't know. I'm just glad I stuck around to find out that I've still got a couple of good years left. So thank you for letting me uh, vent here about drinking and walking. A DW, driving, uh, walking while intoxicated, WWI is what I would have been guilty of more than likely. That's a look at our Hour 1 headlines, oh my goodness, here on the Y'all Show. When we come back, we got a couple of sports notes that we want to pass along. Before the hour is up, we're going to take you to hashtag HuddleBaloo. That is where we go on social media and find out some fun stuff going on that you need to be aware of. And today's subject that we've got to pass along is a book called Mama Said. What did Mama Said? Mama Said. I don't know what Mama Said. Well, actually, I'm going to tell you what Mama Said. So stick around. Hashtag HuddleBaloo is coming up at the end of the hour. But again, up next, we've got some southern sports news to pass along here on the Wednesday Y'all Show. Los Angeles Lakers are not likely to 
die of a broken heart. They might die of, well, running out of money. <laughs> We're back here on the Y'all Show, and congratulations to Big Blue Nation alumnus Anthony Davis as the Lakers have agreed to a three-year, $186 million maximum contract extension for the Unibrow. And that signs up Davis, the former New Orleans Pelican, to the Lakers through 2028 for a total of $270 million. His deal is the richest annual contract extension in NBA history, and it averages out to be $62 million a season. Not bad, Anthony Davis. Along with his teammate LeBron James, Unibrow remains a cornerstone of the Lakers, a team that advanced to the Western Conference Finals just a year ago but got knocked out by the Denver Nuggets. I believe that was a four-game sweep by Denver in that Western Conference Championship. The four-time All-NBA first-teamer, Anthony Davis, has averaged 25 points and two blocks in a season five times. That's the third highest total behind Shaquille O'Neal and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar of L.A. Lakers fame, both of them, and Orlando Magic fame. I think Jabbar only played, Mr. Alcindor only played for the Lakers, if memory serves me correctly. But yes, Anthony Davis, who became the third Laker player in history with 50 blocks in a single postseason during the 2023 playoffs, again, only trailing O'Neal and Mr. Alcindor. The 30-year-old got to the Lakers after a 2019 trade with the Pelicans, and he helped deliver a 2020 NBA championship title to Tinseltown. And evidently, it's fitting in rather nice. And remember, the Lakers did not have the best of the regular season in 2022-23, but boy, they turned it on in the playoffs and got all the way to that Western Conference Finals, but they got um, mined and chipped away by a very determined Denver Nugget team that ended up winning the NBA Finals, so congratulations. The field has been set for the FedEx St. Jude Championship. This is the first leg of the FedEx Cup playoffs, so that little golf tournament held usually in the middle of, actually toward the end of June historically in Memphis, kind of forgotten about, kind of not that important of a golf tournament. Thanks to FedEx pumping all that money into this event right in FedEx's hometown of Memphis, this event, the FedEx St. Jude Championship, is considered a pretty big event now as it's leg one of three legs of the FedEx Cup playoffs. So this weekend, they'll be teeing off at TPC Southwind starting on Thursday. And this will have the top 70 players in the world that have qualified will be at Memphis for the FedEx St. Jude Championship. This year's field features nine of the top 10 ranked golfers in the world and three FedEx Cup champions. Let me tell you about some of the 70 golfers in Memphis. And by the way, I've got a ticket thanks to my my friendly UPS driver. He delivered just like FedEx. <laughs> That's terrible, but funny. Uh, he delivered, and he's got a ticket waiting on me to go out there and sweat my fanny off on Sunday for the championship round, by the way, if I want to go. So let's see if I can't come up with a better plan between now and Sunday. But I think I'm going to have to... 
pack my bags and my nine iron and head over to Memphis for this tournament if I can somehow pull it off. So among the top names in golf, the top 70 golfers qualifying for this year's playoffs, of course, you got to be in Memphis for round one, which is the FedEx St. Jude Championship. Some familiar names you might be familiar with, Mr. Keegan Bradley, the guy that takes forever to hit a golf ball, he'll be there. Sam Burns out of Shreveport, he'll be there. Patrick Cantlay. You also have Jason Dye, Lee Alsey. How about Georgia Bulldog alum Harris English? He'll be there. Matt Fitzpatrick, who recently won the U.S. Open. He'll be teeing off. How about Fairway Jesus, Tommy Fleetwood, Jason Nall? Where are you when I need you? Actually, I think he committed to coming on here during the playoff time, but he's busy with College Tour X. We'll let him we'll let him hang out somewhere else this week. Lucas Glover, the Clemson alum, he's in the playoff and will be in Memphis. Also, you've got the guy that just won the Open Championship, Brian Harmon, the Georgia Bulldog, Savannah's own. He's in the FedEx Cup or in the playoff. Russell Henley, another Georgia Bulldog, he's in there. Sound like I'm doing a Georgia Bulldog show all of a sudden. Hey, Victor Hoblin played for the Oklahoma State Cowboys. He will be at Memphis this weekend for this FedEx St. Jude Championship. Also, you got Matt Kuchar, Georgia Tech. Heck yeah, to hell with Georgia, Matt Kuchar. Cooch would say. Hideki Matsuyama will be in Memphis. Also, Roy McElroy. You have Colin Marikawa, the Open Championship winner from a few years back. He'll be in M-Town. Also, you got... John Rahm, I had a chance to go follow him a couple of holes at the FedEx St. Jude Championship a few years ago. Thanks again to my UPS connection for that. And he, at that time, was cheering for Louis Oosthuizen because UPS sponsors, or did sponsor Oosthuizen. By the way, Mr. Oosthuizen is not in this tournament, Mr. UPS guy. Also, before I get out of here, I'm going through Justin Rose, the original gold medal winner down in Brazil in the Olympics a few years ago, the Englishman, he will be in Memphis this weekend. You also have Scotty Scheffler, Hook'em Horns. Jordan Spieth, Hook'em Horns will be also in Memphis, as well as Brandon Wu and Cameron Young. That's the field of 70. None of those live golfers hanging out in Memphis this weekend. No Dustin Johnson, no Cam Smith. These are your PGA guys, top 70 of them. And the FedEx St. Jude Championship, which, again, starts Thursday last through Sunday. This is the opening round of the FedEx playoffs for the PGA Tour. As we go on through today's Y'all Show, stay with us because I'm going to give you the breakdown of the first preseason weekend of the NFL. As we've got games set for Thursday, Friday, I think there's a few set for Saturday as well. I'm going to walk you through all of the games that are taking place as we go through today's Y'all Show. In fact, I'm going to get to that, but I'm not going to be able to get to it till our final hour. No, we don't even have Southern Sports. You know what? I better go ahead and knock this out because we're going to be spotlighting the Florida Gators hour, too. We don't have a sports report on this Wednesday edition in our final hour. So we've got NFL football preseason taking place Thursday's games. The Houston Texans and their brand-new starting quarterback, are going to be going on to up to uh, New England, to Gillette. Well, they'll have the Patriots in a Thursday evening matchup. 
That'll be on the NFL Network. Also, Thursday, preseason contest, Vikings at Seattle. Friday's games, Green Bay will be at Cincinnati. The New York football giants will be at Detroit. Atlanta will be taking on the Miami Dolphins at Hard Rock. Pittsburgh will be at Raymond James visiting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Commanders will be in Cleveland taking on the Browns. The Broncos and the Cardinals get together in Glendale. All those are Friday games. Hey, we got games Sunday. I'll tell you about those in a second. Saturday's games in the NFL. Indianapolis will be at Highmark Stadium taking on the Buffalo Bills. The Titans will be at Soldier Field visiting Chicago Saturday. These are early games. High noon, actually, on the NFL Network. You can see some of these games. Mid-afternoon on the NFL Network, it's the New York Jets taking on the Carolina Panthers in Uptown Charlotte. Dallas has Jacksonville in a mid-afternoon game at AT&T Stadium. The Ravens are hosting Philly at M&T Bank Stadium. And your primetime game on the NFL Network has the L.A. Rams and the L.A. Chargers. Wow, that ought to be a good one Saturday evening. Then you've got two games set on Sunday. High noon, it's going to be the Saints and the Kansas City Chiefs from Caesars Superdome. That will be on the NFL Network. And your finale, mid-afternoon on Sunday, is going to have the Las Vegas Raiders hosting the San Francisco 49ers from Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. That is what's going on with your first weekend of preseason football here across the country as the NFL is back. We will be back on the Y'all Show. Stay tuned as we come back. We've got hashtag hullabaloo. This is where we go on social media and find incredible stuff to talk about. And we're going to talk about what Mama said when the Y'all Show comes back right after this break. If you want to get involved and send us some social media fun, you can do that by dropping us an email M-A-I-L, mail at y'all.com. And we'll be right back, y'all. We want to hear you here at Super Talk 93.1 on shows like The Y'all Show, The Patriot Pastor, and The Frankie Lack Show. We've got a text line that you can text us and participate in the program. That number is 731-410-7560. And the Super Talk 93.1 text line is powered by See Me Tree Service. They are a West Tennessee-based company, and they will help you with any of your tree removal problems, tree trimming, tree elevation, pruning, tree topping, stump grinding, and more. They're a small family-owned business that's licensed and insured, and you can call See Me Tree Service for a free estimate. Call them at 731-617-2236. See Me Tree Service. For all of your tree removal or tree issues going on, give them a call for that free estimate. 731-617-2236. See Me Tree Service. Powering the Super Talk 93.1 text line. She knows too well there's something going on She's been neglected And she needs a friend So her trembling fingers dial the telephone 
Lord, it hurts you Doing this again He's the best friend that her husband ever knew When she's lonely He's more than just a friend He's the one she longs to give her body to They do in this secret hideaway. They time friends and lifetime lovers. They don't wanna hurt the other, so they love in the nighttime and shake hands in the light of day. The gambler bringing us back from break here as we wrap up our first hour. On this Wednesday, y'all, I'm John, and this is the show all about the Southeast, powered by y'all.com. The South's homepage and in this segment we call it hashtag hullabaloo this is where social media greatness comes our way and we kind of bring it all in run it through our intense filtering system and only the best comes out of it and right now we go to x where we find mayfield promotions is on x and mayfield promotions is a free and discount kindle ebook service that james mayfield is involved in Mayfield Promotions, and they have just put out a post that I wanted to let you know about from Mayfield Promotions. The post says, free until August 11th, that's Friday, free until August 11th, a Southern Communication Guide. And what they've got is a link to a book that Christy Eidson has penned called Mama Said, Southern Slang Expression, Phrases, Colloquialisms, Definitions, recipes, remedies, and more. Sounds like my kind of book. I'm going to tell you about Christy Eidson in just a second. But this book that she wrote called Mama Said is going to be free. If you go to Mayfield Promotions on X, it's at James Promotions. And James Promotions, I I think that's how it's linked. James Promotions, again, pointing out that this is a freak book that you can pick up until August 11th, this Southern Communication Guide and Mayfield Promotions, they add, so many people are moving to the South every day and to fit in or at least understand us, you need to learn how to talk right. Can I have an amen? (laughs) No more use, guys, anymore. Christy Eidson, who wrote this book, Mama Said, was born outside of Nashville. I wonder if she was born in Jolton. Or maybe she was born up in Millersville. Maybe she was born hmm, in Smyrna. How about maybe Antioch? Maybe she was born in Nolansville. I'm kind of circling around Nashville. I don't know where she was born, but it says she was born outside of Nashville, raised by her great-grandparents. Christy Eidson is a comedian, actor, and a writer. And this southern fried humor she has has a pinch of sass and is a hilarious dose of attitude all work to the, working together. Christy Eidson creates colorfully visual stories from her distinct Southern point of view. We need to get her on the show if she's this good. Christy's been doing stand-up comedy for over 15 years. You might have seen her on the CMT show Still the King. She was on that with Billy Ray Cyrus. She's also a public speaker in addition to being a comedian. And she studied at the legendary Groundlings in L.A. And her book called 
The Heart of Happiness came out some time ago. Christy is the unique comedian who can perform in front of just about any audience from comedy clubs to biker rallies to gay pride festivals to charity shows and more. Many audience members vow that they hadn't laughed so long or so hard in years. Christy Eidson and the book she's got out is Southern. It's a, it's a book of Southern slang expressions, phrases, and more. It's called Mama Said, and if you're lucky enough, you might find yourself a owner of this free book. Go follow the link, again, from at James Promotions, and maybe you just might get lucky. You might not win the Powerball this week, but you might win yourself a free copy of Mama Said from Christy Eidson. And if you do, then you can maybe teach me a few Southern colloquialisms that even Mr. South himself does not know. That wraps up Hour 1 of the Y'all Show. We will be back right here for Hours 2 and 3 on the show that Mama Said is one heck of a show. This is the Y'all Show. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from what we call Dixie, this is the Y'all Show, and we are all Dixie each and every time we get together to talk about what's going on in Dixie, a.k.a. the South, a.k.a. the Land of Cotton, a.k.a. just glad to be here, y'all. I'm John, and this is the show powered by y'all.com, the South's homepage. Go right now and with four little punches on your keyboard one two three four i'm hitting the wrong button there <laughs> you can hit y-a-l-l and boom there you have us the ultimate guide to the south is the homepage of the south y'all.com got a great hour of y'all ahead the show not the website and on this second hour of the y'all show we've got more headlines from across dixie that we'll be getting to and included in those headlines of this hour of y'all we've got information about hey the governor of tennessee welcoming in he welcomes into nashville the indy 500 winner a guy from tennessee joseph newgarden recently won the indy 500 and governor bill lee and his wife maria brought him over to the governor's mansion and we've got information on the tennessee native pulling in the checkered flag of the Indianapolis 500. That's coming up in our news headlines for this hour. Also, we'll let you know how in Atlanta, Georgia right now, it looks like they're going to be having another indictment of President Trump. And we'll have all the info coming out of downtown Atlanta where the Fulton County Courthouse is ground 0.0 for what looks like another Trump indictment. So we'll have that information coming up here in just a few, also in this second hour of today's Y'all Show, we will tell you all about those gators. Chomp, 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 chomp. Billy Napier is getting ready for year number two, leading the orange and blue. 
And Gator fans are hoping if he doesn't turn things around this year, he's going to be chomped by Albert and Alberta all the way outside of the Sunshine State's borders. It's bad enough he's a native Tennessean. He is from Cookville originally. He played his college ball at Furman University, good old FU in Greenville, South Carolina, the Paladins of the Southern Conference. Those are all not great things, but what Florida Gator fans really want him to do before he ultimately gets run out of the state, he better win, and he better beat them Georgia Bulldogs. I don't know if that's going to happen in 2023, but he better win a lot of other games because he sure didn't do it in his first year. So we will talk about that as part of our Southern Sports Update. It's all Gators as we're on a college football tour, getting you ready for the start of the college football season. And just two weeks is when college football begins. And we will have a preview of Florida today. We had a preview of Kentucky on Tuesday. We had NC, as in the Tar Heels, on Monday. On Thursday's Y'all Show, we'll be featuring the Baylor Bears of the Big 12 Conference. And Friday, we're going to wrap it up with a look at the LSU Tigers and Brian Kelly. All right here on our tour this week of Southern College Football. So got that coming up here this hour, Gator Talk. And we also have a look at some Southern business news to pass along before we hit hour three, where Megan Headwall will be back with us. And we've got some really high-tech stuff to talk about with Megan when she joins us in our final hour, plus some Southern history going on today. And we can't wait to tell you about it. That Southern history actually ties into college and NFL football. So hang on for all that good stuff. If you would like to be a part of y'all, it's easy to do that. You can drop us an email anytime. Our email address is mail, mail at yall.com. Mail at y'all.com is the easiest way in the world for you to get us. You can also text us. We've got a text line that's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that text line is 615-208-4184. Any way that you can reach out to us, we would appreciate it because we love the feedback. We want to make sure that we truly are y'all's show, and that would be the y'all show. All right, let's look at some headlines today as we start off the stories across the southeast today, and sad story out of Dillon, South Carolina the sheriff of Dillon County, Douglas Humbunny Purnell, has died. He died of what looks like natural causes at his home in Dillon County, South Carolina. He was 61 years old. He went to work Monday and didn't seem to have any problems. But when he got home, according to the coroner of Dillon County, he collapsed and died. His body taken to Myrtle Beach for an autopsy. Under South Carolina's state law, Chief Deputy Larry Abraham will act as sheriff until the governor, Henry McMaster, can appoint a new sheriff leading up to a special election. Purnell had worked in law enforcement for more than 30 years. He was elected the sheriff of Dillon County in the year 2020. Dillon is on the sort of northeastern corner of South Carolina. It's about an hour, hour and a half inland from Myrtle Beach. It's right on the North Carolina line. It is right where Interstate 95 hits the North Carolina line north of Florence, South Carolina. It is the home county of the tourist trap that is known throughout the world, the tourist trap known as South of the Border. 
our thoughts with the Dillon County community as they grieve the death of their sheriff. Other headlines across the southeast today. In Florida, police have arrested 44-year-old Richard Flores and 44-year-old Maria Barrios Calero. They were arrested at the Lago Motor Inn in Lake Worth Beach over the weekend as a sex trafficking operation busted the pair at this hotel. And it all happened because of the diligent intervention of a hotel worker at the, what did I call that hotel? The Lago Motor Inn. I bet you this was one nice five-star, beautiful hotel in, in Florida. Authorities say that Calero coordinated the prostitution of two minors, both of whom were rescued by police during the arrest. According to the report, the witness stated he called police after observing how young the two females appeared to be and also their demeanor, and consent to search the room was provided by the hotel clerk, which resulted in locating uh, some some things that shouldn't have been in the hotel room regarding minors. Sex trafficking remains a major issue in Florida, particularly in Palm Beach County. Palm Beach County, according to the Director of Victim Services, Nicole Bishop, Palm Beach County is actually the third county in the state as far as reports of human trafficking go. Florida is the third in the nation in terms of human trafficking. This is all brought out, by the way, in the latest Jim Caviezel film that has been number one at the box office in the last month. And in real life, we can see this horrible tragedy playing out in places like Florida this week. Governor Santa, speaking of Florida, he's changing up his campaign. He has switched out his campaign manager. He's going to reload, is the term. James Uthmeyer is going to be taking over for Janera Pack as his campaign strategist. As he's made this move, DeSantis handing the role over to this guy who was a staffer on his governor staff, as he was a chief of staff on his gubernatorial team, the change is the latest in a weeks-long reload of the DeSantis campaign, a reload aimed at trying to stem the disappointing poll numbers in the 2024 race for president on the Republican side, of which Ron DeSantis finds himself in. He trails President Trump often by 50, 60 points. I think I even heard Trump say he was leading by 80 percentage points, that is, in some kind of poll. It might have been the Trump poll but yes DeSantis needs some kind of as he called it reload I think he needs a reboot he may need a revisit to the idea of running for president this year this just might not be his year and he may be a more likely choice down the road but a reload is what is happening for Ron DeSantis right now in the state of Florida as he attempts to become the president of the United States. In downtown Atlanta, the Fulton County Courthouse is ramping up security. They've been doing this work for more than a week now. And I don't think they would be doing that if charges weren't forthcoming from Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis. She's been investigating the 45th president for his efforts to overturn Georgia's 2020 elections results. And she's indicated she will make an announcement sometime this month. It must be coming any day if it hasn't already come out. Officers from multiple police departments in Georgia are present outside the courthouse along with bomb-sniffing dogs for a look at media vehicles and more. 
And the street outside the Fulton County Courthouse has also been closed off with barriers, creating a real mess, frankly. If the grand jury hands down an indictment, it will be the fourth indictment for the former president and the second that's been handed down related to the 2020 election. Trump also faces charges for making hush payments to a porn star, Stormy Daniels, and he's also been charged for mishandling classified documents, and he's also been charged for attempting to overturn the 2020 election in Washington, D.C. Of course, part of that was the whole January 6th mess. So Trump, speaking of mess, is in a whole heap of mess if he ends up having this come through in Atlanta for Count them, one, two, three, four, four indictments all within the last couple of months. Hmm. Now, somebody's getting rich, I assume. In fact, I think there have been multiple fundraising efforts for Trump to where he can make money off this thing. He can make money for his legal team. So if you've got the guts to be a Trump lawyer, you, you just might be handsomely paid thanks to all these people donating money to the multiple indictments that he now is staring at straight in the face. Let's go to Mississippi. Earlier this year, a woman named Amanda Bell and her family planned to visit Nanawaya. That's in southern Winston County, and it's between the Crystal Ridge and Bogachito Choctaw communities. This is where the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians live in this portion of sort of east-central Mississippi. And the Nanawayo Mound is the heartbeat of the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians, according to the manager and Choctaw archivist, Amanda Bell. And so the trip to the mound that this woman had planned was meant to be a moment of reflection. But it ended up being a sad day because when they got there, Bell and her family noticed destruction at this American Indian mound donut tire tracks around the mound they had litter and bottles of alcohol around the sacred site the mississippi band of choctaw indians department of public safety ended up posting photos of the vandalism the post put out by the police sub the public safety department said that nanawayo mound is sacred and an important landmark of the mississippi band of choctaw indians it is an area that should be respected by all people who visit. We are saddened to hear that our sacred mound grounds was vandalized recently. It's called the Mother Mound, Nanawaya, and that term in Choctaw translates to Leaning Hill. It is 25 feet high, 618 feet long, and it's roughly matching the earliest recorded descriptions of the site. The mound is right again in the heart of Choctaw country south of Louisville, Mississippi. And it's a big part of that culture there. Remember, not all that far from Winston County, you've got Neshoba County, which is home of the casino, the casino that the Choctaws run in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Now, let me tell you a little bit, if you aren't familiar with the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians, they're a federally recognized tribe of Choctaws and the only one in the state of Mississippi that's federally recognized. They were recognized way back in 1945. And they've got land in Neshoba, Leake, Newton, Scott, Jones, Atala, Kemper, and Winston counties. If you look at a map of Mississippi, it's sort of 
northeast of Jackson, sort of northwest of Meridian. If you draw a line south of, let's say, Starkville and Columbus, Columbus, Mississippi, and go down to Meridian, then go over to, let's say, Winona, Mississippi, somewhere in that area all out there in the middle is where you're going to find Choctaw land and the Choctaw people. And it is a big part of Mississippi's history. There are, by the way, in 2021, a population of 11,100 members of the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians. And they have a, a great story because the Choctaws were not in their entirety forced to leave Mississippi during the time that Andrew Jackson pushed the Cherokees and the Chickasaws all out to Oklahoma Territory. Somehow the Choctaws, some of them remained in Mississippi. and They continued to live in their own ancient homeland. Nearly 5,000 Choctaw remained in Mississippi and became citizens of the state and the United States back in the 1800s when there was this Trail of Tears. And the chiefs signed the Treaty of Dancing Rabbit Creek, and that was ratified by the U.S. Senate back in 1831. And that evidently allowed some of the Choctaws to stay in Mississippi. But they were and have been a big part of Mississippi's story. They participated in the Civil War. Most Choctaw men signed up for the Confederate Army. They were in the 1st Choctaw Battalion and ended up serving with white men in this Confederate Army. The battalion was actually headquartered at Newton Station, Mississippi, and fought in some battles in the Civil War. And then throughout time, they've suffered certainly some hardship along the way, including discrimination. But the Choctaws continue to be a big part of that area of Mississippi. And again, it's not a good thing when you read articles about idiots going out there and destructing some of their most sacred property. And that is something we hate to have to tell you about here. On the Y'all Show. By the way, the current leader of the Mississippi Band of Choctaw uh, Nation, the government tribal chief is Cyrus Ben. The Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians in the news today, and we hope that whoever did that stupid act gets found and, and, and is prosecuted properly. Researchers at the University of Virginia are saying that light therapy may be a new tool to help manage early symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. That's right. Flipping a light switch could be a new weapon in the fight against Alzheimer's. As doctors at the UVA Medical Center stumbled upon the discovery while analyzing sleep patterns in mice with the memory loss illness, the findings suggest that enhanced light sensitivity may contribute to what's called sundowning, the worsening of symptoms late in the day and could possibly spur sleep disruptions that are thought to speed up the disease in patients. So, yeah, how about that? A possible solution, light therapy, a treatment that uses artificial light in various wavelengths and across different times to improve patient help.
and patient health. So yeah, how about that story from Charlottesville and UVA that flipping a light switch could be a new weapon in the fight against Alzheimer's. Anything, frankly, to help fight that awful, devastating disease would be welcome. I was talking to a fella just the other day. I had seen his mother the last couple of months. She's a, she's probably 85 years old. And if you saw her, she looks perfectly healthy. If you heard her talk, she sounds normal. She drives a car every day, multiple times a day, goes around town. But the lady has Alzheimer's. And one of her famous things she does is she comes in and does a little work, but she's not really working. She's just coming into a workplace that a friend of hers owns. And out of nowhere, she says, I got to go check on the kids. So she gets up, goes out to her car, drives the mile or two to her house, checks on her kids and comes back. She doesn't have kids there. I spoke to her son over the weekend. Her son, I thought was the one she was going to check on, even though he's about 60 years old now and doesn't live anywhere near her. The story was that she was going home to check on him, thinking that he was still a child. But actually, he told me that she's got these imaginary kids that she's raising. And that's why she has to go home and check on them. I told you this lady drives. She drives her car every day. Is that a good thing? Am I going to get in trouble for telling on her? I think everybody knows it, actually. But she she gets around and she obeys the speed limits. And that's probably a lot of that goes on. But what a just terrible, terrible disease. And if we could find a way to get rid of Alzheimer's, we'd be a lot better off. Some of this silly political stuff that we sit here on the Y'all Show talking about all the time really doesn't mean a hill of beans if we can find solutions to cancer and Alzheimer's and all the other stupid, stupid, just totally awful things that take our fellow humans, including sometimes ourselves, way, way, way too early. Here's another health-related story. A worldwide study shows a popular weight loss drug is also good for heart health. As findings that it could open the door for insurance coverage on the popular medicine are popping up, the online article from Insider reported the study from drug maker Novo Nordisk showing weight loss drug Wagovi decreases the risk of stroke, heart attack, and death among people with cardiovascular disease by as much as 20%. More than 17,000 adults 45 years or older were involved in the study, and they were overweight or obese and had cardiovascular disease but not diabetes. And this study showed that Wagovi reduced the risk of several different add heart at risk. Hold on, let me get this right. They reduced the risk of several different heart health outcomes at once. The findings could also push insurance companies to raise rates up. Yes, surprise, surprise there. But hey, perhaps some wonderful news. Wagovi, the weight loss drug, helping out with heart attacks and stroke risk. That would also be an unbelievable thing if we could come up with a cure to help stop all that nonsense. Also in our headlines across the South today, congratulations to a Tennessee native, Joseph Newgarden. He recently won the Indianapolis 500. 
and he came to Nashville recently to celebrate at the home of Governor Bill and his beautiful bride, Maria Lee, there on the south side of Nashville. The Indy 500 winner, welcome back to Tennessee by the governor. And Lee went on social media to say, we can't wait to host racing fans in Nashville again next year for the 2020 IndyCar Series finale at the Music City Grand 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 Prix. The Indy 500 winner, Joseph Newgarden, is a native of Hendersonville, Tennessee. That's a pretty famous place. That's where Taylor Swift's from. That's where a lot of the country music stars have lived through the years, like Johnny Cash. And now a new generation of Hendersonville hit makers, this time on the track as Newgarden. He didn't go the NASCAR route. He went the Indy car route, and he won the Indianapolis 500. It was his 12th attempt, and he was able to pass Marcus Erickson on the final lap to win the Indy 500. And there this week at the governor's mansion, they even brought out a car. I don't know if it was the actual same car that he drove at the 500, but a nice little photo there at the governor's mansion of Tennessee with this race car driver from Hendersonville and the first lady and the governor of Tennessee, Billy, right there. I hope he's got good air conditioning in that governor's mansion, if you don't know much about his background. The guy who had never been in political office before for many, many, many years was the head of the Lee Air Conditioning Company, which has a huge, huge success rate in Nashville. They're one of the bigger AC companies and service companies in all of Middle Tennessee. And Bill Lee took that success and took it to winning the governor's race of Tennessee back in 2018, I guess that's when that was, because he just got reelected in 2022. Congratulations, Givna. And congratulations to Mr. Hendersonville himself, Mr. Newgarden, for being your IndyCar and Indy 500 champion this year. I, I think that's still IndyCar's most prestigious race, and he was able to get that right out of Middle Tennessee. All right. The Y'all Show is going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have more fun. We're going to talk about the Florida Gators as they're getting ready to kick off the 2023 season. We're going to walk through their schedule, what some of the Gator insiders are saying about the upcoming season. If Florida's going to get back to at least a bowl game, for goodness sakes, we'll have all that discussion as our coverage of college football continues. We're getting you ready for the start of football season 2023, and we're on a tour. We're going to be stopping at the Swamp. Ben Hill Griffin Stadium is the destination, and today we're going to learn all about what the Gators and their second-year head football coach have in store as UF hopes to get back on the winning side of the ledger. All that is ahead on y'all. If you want to maybe weigh in on the Gators, you're certainly welcome to do that. Our email address is mail at y'all.com. So get your chomp chomp on because Florida Gator Talk is coming right up.
We are the boys from old Florida. Welcome back. That's not the song. That is just how I feel when I hear that Gator band striking up tunes like Orange and Blue. And we know that we're just days away from the start of college football. We're back here on the Y'all Show. And we are proud to talk Southern sports when we get a chance as we mix Southern sports conversation in with all the news headlines and recipes and travel information and book information and country music news and all the other fun stuff that we do here on our little Southern program. The Florida Gators, last year, Billy Napier came over from Louisiana Lafayette to be the head coach of UF, and things did not go all that great. Let's just uh, let's just be real with you here for a second. It, it was not a very good opening season for Florida football under Mr. Napier. So this year, Florida fans are going to be turning the heat up on this 44-year-old Cookville, Tennessee native who played his college football back in 1999 through 2002 for the Furman Paladins in Greenville, South Carolina. Napier has been a head coach since 2018 at Louisiana Lafayette. He coached that program for several years, getting them to bowl games along the way, winning the Lending Tree Bowl, the First Responder Bowl. His last couple of years in Lafayette, he had double-digit wins. He was 11-3 and one season. During that COVID year of 2020, he was 10-1. and 10-1 and one and ended up finishing in the final poll of the year, the AP poll, number 15 for the Raging Cajuns. Not bad. And then in his last year, he ended up taking Louisiana Lafayette all the way to an 8-0 conference record. And they were 12-1 in 2021. They're only lost that season. Let's see if I can pull that up. I remember when they lost that game. They lost... The opening game to Texas, 38-18, to and then they reeled off wins all the rest of the way, including a win. They didn't have any other big-time wins against some of the power programs of college football, but they took care of business in the Sun Belt Conference for sure. And then in the game, they had the bowl game. The New Orleans Bowl against Marshall, they won 36-21. to So a very good season, and that ended up helping Napier get hired at Florida, where in his opening year, he also took the Gators. I had forgot they went to a bowl game, if you want to call it that. The Gators ended up being 6-6 six and six last year, and they went to the Las Vegas Bowl, the first time a SEC team had had a chance to go to Vegas for this bowl game, and they got destroyed in the Vegas Bowl. They got destroyed in that 22-bowl game, 30-3 to by the Oregon State Beavers. That game played at Allegiant Stadium. So, yeah, Florida and Florida, I think, barely even got on the scoreboard. I think they got on with a field goal right near the end of the game. This was almost a shutout at Allegiant Stadium. <laughs> so that was the opening year of the Napier experience in Gainesville. Things better get better, and they better get better real quick if Napier is going to be able to hang out in Gainesville beyond this season. Florida begins the season against the Utah Utes, and this will be a game played in Salt Lake City. That is a tough, tough way to start your season. 
This is also going to be, in addition to being a road game all the way out in Utah, this is going to be a Thursday night game on ESPN as this contest is in prime time on ESPN against the Utes. Remember Utes, they went down to Florida last year and lost in a surprising victory for Florida to start out the season. And Utah has the return game for Florida back this year in Salt Lake City. The second game on the season should be a little bit easier for the Gators. The McNeese Cowboys come over from Lake Charles for a game on the 9th of September. And then it's the rivalry with Tennessee renewed, this time at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. Tennessee comes in for the first SEC game of the year, September 16th. A game against the 49ers of Charlotte on Tom Petty Day at the Swamp will be September 23rd. Tough contest on the 30th of September as they go to Kroger Field in the game at Kentucky. The Vanderbilt Commodores knocked off Florida in 2022. Will the Gators get revenge against the Commodores this year at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium? Well, you can tune in October 7th and see if the doors go down in the swamp. The South Carolina Gamecocks will be hosting the Gators on October 14th. The Gators and the Georgia Bulldogs have their largest outdoor cocktail party renewed October 28th in Jacksonville. November 4th, the Arkansas Razorbacks come in for a game in Gainesville. The Gators will be in Death Valley taking on LSU and the rivalry with them on November 11th. The Gators will be on the road at Mizzou on November 18th. That's the SEC finale for Billy Napier's ball club. And then the annual Sunshine Showdown will be going on with Florida State. That's a home game against FSU on Saturday, November 25th. That is your Gator schedule for the new college football season. The question is, how many of those games are going to end up being W's for the Gators in 2023? (laughs) Well, don't let me answer that. Zach Avaladere is with GatorsOnline.com, and he has penned an article about his prediction for the WL record for the Gators this year. And let me just go through. He's got the game at Utah as a 29.7% chance for a Gator win. So I would say that's going to likely be a loss. So we'll put that one down as an L for the Gators, the first game at Utah. McNeese State, that's a 99% chance of a Gator victory. Tennessee, they've got that one as a 51% chance of a Gator win. So we'll put that one down as a dub for the Florida Gators. They got the game against the 49ers of Charlotte as a W also. The game against Kentucky is a loss, according to these guys. So that's the second loss of the season predicted by Gators Online's own staff member. The Vanderbilt game they've got is a 90.4% chance of a victory. The game at South Carolina they got as a victory there, 58.9% chance. So things are looking pretty good for Billy Napier. But, oh, we come to October 28th, and that Georgia game in Jacksonville is listed only at a 13.8% chance of a dub for the Gators. So that is loss number three in the regular season. They've got the game against the Hogs as a victory, 66.2% chance. The game at LSU is an 18.5% chance of a victory. We'll put that down as another loss. The game at Mizzou is a 58.1% chance of a UF victory. And then 
the game against Florida State, they've got it 50.3 as the chance of a Florida Gator victory. Now, technically, that should be a win at 50.3. I'm going to chalk that up as a as a loss. So I think what I just tallied was seven wins and five losses for the Florida Gators. That sounds about right. That is about right, in my opinion. Now, if you did the technical 50.3, that would be an 8-4 and four regular season, and that would be a all things considered, a, a very good season, in, in my opinion, if, if Florida could somehow have that kind of success in 2023. I, I just still think they're going to be lucky to pull out seven, the big seven wins in 2023, if if my arithmetic is correct on this. And usually I'm, I'm pretty accurate on this thing. Not to, not to get all cocky, not game cock, cocky, but just cocky about Florida Gator football. Billy Napier was at the mic earlier in the, uh, I believe it was earlier this week, talking about his football team. And if we can go in real quick and catch some of this audio, we'll let you hear some of what the second-year coach is saying about his UF team. And, again, if he doesn't get it fixed this year, Florida's not patient. This is not a, a program. I mean, look what they did to Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen, I think, was and still is a very good college football coach. And they helped show him the door, I think, prematurely in in Gainesville. Now, to UF's defense, it's not exactly like Dan Mullen got hired immediately by another really good football program and is just tearing it up with another program after they gave him lots and lots of money to just kind of disappear. So maybe they knew what they were doing in Gainesville when they made a switch there. But Billy Napier, yes, he had that great success at Louisiana Lafayette. Will that spill into success at the University of Florida? We shall see. Let's go to the microphone now, and here's Billy Napier. Kind of settles in. There's only one way uh, to get in condition to play this game. You know, we can, you know, work on speed improvement. We can do conditioning tests. Uh, We can lift weights. Uh, we can do football activity, even T-shirts, but I think you've got to put the gear on and you've got to get on the field and you've got to start start working against each other. And there's just a certain conditioning element to this game uh, that is different. Uh, certainly the fundamentals and techniques uh, that are important at each position group, you know, are different with gear on. So, you know, I think we're hard at work here trying to create a practice environment where we we are building uh, habits that will hold up on game day, right? Communication that will hold up on game day. Fundamentals, execution that will hold up on game day against the absolute best competition in the country. Uh, So we're working on our football. I do think we're working on our mindset, right? We've taken the gloves off and uh, we've really decided to be uncompromising. We're holding nothing back. Uh, and we understand that requires our total focus uh, because of the type of competitors that we want to be. Uh, we're also working on our team. Um, I do think we've agreed it to an expectation. One of the things I like about this group is they are very accountable, um, and I think that they care about each other. All right, that is some comments now from the head coach of the Florida Gators, Billy Napier. 
as it sounds like his team definitely got the pads on and they're getting ready for those Utah Utes. That's the first game of the season on that Thursday night headed into Labor Day weekend. So Gator fans, much success to you this year. And maybe you'll just find yourself in a big bowl game. Heck, you could find yourself in that SEC championship game if the season turns out in a perfect way for you. And that wraps up our stop in Gainesville today as we looked at the Florida Gators. On Thursday's Y'all Show, our spotlight team will be the Baylor Bears. We'll close out this hour of the Y'all Show after this break talking a little southern business. So hang on. Rhonda Vincent. She's going to help us close out our second hour of y'all here on the program All About the South. And we're going to put on our business hat with some Southern business news. And Rhonda has had a few kids and I don't know if she's been able to afford them. I'm sure she has with all her success in bluegrass music and beyond. But college is more expensive than ever. That's the headline from CNBC.com. And Jessica Dickler has penned this article about how families are paying the tab for college when it is the most expensive it has ever been. Tuition and fees have more than doubled in 20 years, reaching $10,940 on average at four-year in-state public colleges. That was for the 22-23 academic year. At private colleges, the cost of tuition and fees now averaging $39,400. How about that? A nearly 30,000 difference in the cost between a public college and a private college in today's world. Hmm. When you start adding up other expenses, according to the article, the total can be more than $70,000 a year for undergraduates at some private colleges or even out-of-state students attending four-year public schools. You know what? Is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? I've got a couple of degrees, undergrad, master's, and I'm proud of my degrees. 
But am I proud of the fact that it cost? Actually, I, I'm not going to say anything. I went to a fairly cheap public undergrad, and not to brag, but my postgraduate program, I got paid to go to school. Yeah, that's the way to do it, kids. But if you're not that lucky, you might want to be thinking about another way to go to get your degree. Uh, tough, tough deal. And again, this is probably only going to keep climbing the cost of colleges. Also want to let you know that restaurants brands sales have rised. And that's an article also at CNBC.com. And that's thanks to the growth of Burger King and Tim Hortons. Restaurant Brands International. That is the, I think, parent company of Burger King. They released this week a double-digit same-store sales growth at Burger King and Tim Hortons. Shares of the company rose 2% in morning trading. Restaurant Brands has these franchises. McDonald's, by the way, also growing in U.S. traffic and more. Tim Hortons is, I think, more of a Canadian-based restaurant chain. Burger King's same-store sales rose 10.2%, and that was twice of what they were estimated to have. Restaurant brands spent $10 million on advertising for Burger King in the U.S. during this last quarter, and they also invested $11 million in restaurant upgrades at Burger King locations around the country. I'll tell you what, they need to go to my local Burger King and figure out a way to get me a better taste in Coca-Cola because something's wrong with that machine, restaurant brands. Could could you help me out? Because a good Coke and a good Whopper is a pretty good combination, if you had to ask me. And that is a look at some of our business headlines wrapping up our second hour of the Y'all Show, talking burgers and more. Not a bad way to wrap it up. We will come back here for Hour 3. Megan Headwall is going to be joining us, and we're going to have some fun with her. Plus, we've got news headlines, and we'll give you some Southern history, including some birthday boys that you know from NFL fame, Doug Williams and Deion Sanders. All of that is coming up as we have more of the show about the South. back on the show all about the south i am john rawl the general of the south at least of all things southern and we welcome you in we're going to put a star on your collar and make you a fellow general of what's going on across the southeast if you sit back and join us for at least the next hour on our little program powered by y'all.com got megan headwall coming up in just a few minutes she's going to help us understand some tricks of the trade when it comes to Spotify and the other streaming channels out there for music. I didn't realize you could trick these companies, but you could, and it only helps make your listening experience even better. Now, kids, don't try this at home. I don't know what she's going to tell us, but it's going to be good. 
So that's coming up with Megan in a few. We also have a look at Southern history before we're out of here today. Included with that are some birthday boys, Doug Williams and Deion Sanders, both of which made names for themselves while playing in the National Football League. One won a Super Bowl for the Washington Redskins. The other won a Super Bowl playing for the San Francisco 49ers. And I think he also won one for the Cowboys, but I honestly can't remember. I know he did not win one for either the Baltimore Ravens, of which he played one season for, I think, and he certainly did not win for the Dirty Birds of Atlanta when he was a Falcon to help get his career started. So we'll have that. Plus, I'm going to tell you about how just screwed up the Civil War truly was. And if you need evidence of that, I'll tell you because we've got another pair of birthday boys this week to let you in on. One ended up being a Confederate general. One ended up being a Yankee general, and they were born today in history. But what's amazing is who they fought for, but where they came from. And it will explain how screwed up the American Civil War was and why people like me have been studying it and have become students of Civil War history our entire lives. I'll have that coming up in our Southern History Spotlight. If you want to get involved with the Y'all Show, easy to do. It's 615-208-4184. That's the text line if you want to drop us an email. M-A-I-L, mail at y'all.com is the way to get involved with us right here at the Y'all Show. Now, let's get into some of the news headlines of the day. And we start off on our news headlines of the day, a story about a woman potentially going up against Marsha Blackburn in the state of Tennessee. Gloria Johnson is a Knoxville area House representative in the Tennessee House, that is. She is a Democrat. I never heard of her. There's a darn good chance you've never heard of Gloria Johnson. That is until the good old Tennessee Three, that episode created in Nashville when these three Tennessee House members caused a big scene back in April, May, somewhere in that time period. It all followed the awful school shooting in Nashville, the Covenant school shooting. And so some of the Democrats started pushing for gun reform, and it led to some just insane scenes within Nashville's legislative body. And there were people out in the hallway causing problems. It ended up the so-called Tennessee Three, which was made up of Johnson, as well as a couple of other House members from other parts of the state. You had one guy out of the Memphis area and one guy out of the Nashville area joining her. And both of those guys this week won their re-election, so they'll be back in the Tennessee State House. But these three ended up getting in front of the Tennessee state legislature with bullhorns and really making it a very unprofessional environment. And therefore, the Tennessee legislature kicked them out. Except Johnson, she was not kicked out. She, by one vote, was able to hold on to her office. But she's still considered part of the Tennessee Three. Those three lawmakers were invited to go 
kissed the ring of Joe Biden in the White House after all this thing was done. And now Gloria Johnson, the Democrat from Knoxville, looks like she's going to try to give Marsha Blackburn a run for the money in 2024. Johnson has now filed exploratory paperwork to run against Marsha Blackburn for the United States Senate seat of the volunteer state in 2024. And the decision to file this paperwork means it's a step closer for her to launching a campaign. And doing so, filing this paperwork allows her to start raising money to support efforts like traveling and polling without officially becoming a candidate. Now, it's not required to run for political office, but it can help boost a candidate's profile if indeed they do file the so-called exploratory paperwork. Johnson has put out a statement. Marsha Blackburn has fired back another statement. First, the statement from Gloria Johnson, the 61-year-old. She wrote that Tennessee has a senator that stands with bullies. I have a reputation for standing up to bullies. I'm taking a serious look at this race and having great conversations with folks who are hungry for better leadership in Tennessee. Tennessee has not elected a Democrat to a statewide office since way back in 2006. And Marsha Blackburn, for the most part, is a popular figure inside of the volunteer state. And if you ever watch television, she's also a very popular figure on the conservative talk shows. The Hannity's, the Fox News's, the Newsmax's of the world often have her on their various shows. Now, Marsha Blackburn's office is not sitting back and waiting. Abigail Sigler is Marsha Blackburn's campaign spokesperson. She put out a statement saying, At the urging of Washington liberals, Gloria Johnson has taken another critical step towards joining liberal Democrat Marquita Bradshaw in the Tennessee Senate Democratic primary. Both of them are radical socialists who are aligned with Joe Biden's failed policies that are making Tennesseans' lives tougher every day. But this woman looks like she's going to be running against Marsha Blackburn. And uh, all this came about again because of this Tennessee 3, of which she joined state representatives Justin Pearson and Justin Jones to make up all three cogs of the Tennessee 3. Those two guys not quite putting their hat in the ring to run for Senate. But they might. They absolutely might. And Marsha's going to come after them if given the opportunity to to knock them out. We told you on our Tuesday Y'all Show about the loss of a 15-year-old in South Carolina who died when Monday's bad weather that went across much of the southeast caused a tree to fall down at his grandparents' home. He was a 15-year-old sophomore at T.L. Hanna High School in Anderson, South Carolina. We did not tell you on our Tuesday show about the name of the man in Florence, Alabama, who also lost his life when storms came through northwest Alabama. The police sergeant of Florence, Alabama, Ryan Kelly, announcing that Marquin Russell, the 28-year-old man from Florence, is the person that died following an incident that happened Monday in the parking lot of the Florence Industrial Park in Florence, Alabama. The man, according to the police department, succumbed to injuries that he received during the storm. He was struck by lightning, and he died at age 
28, in Florence, Alabama. Again, that man's name, 28-year-old Marquin Russell of Lauderdale County, Alabama. Elsewhere in our stories across the southeast today, Arkansas has a new state treasurer, Larry Walther, sworn in as that natural state's statewide elected office of state treasurer. He ends up taking over in that office for a man who died in office just a few weeks back as back on July 26, Arkansas Treasurer Mark Lowry passed away. He had just announced the day before his death that he was going to be stepping out, uh, stepping away from that job in about a month as his health was deteriorating. But then he died literally a day after that announcement. And this man who has had experience working in the administrations of George W. Bush and in the Barack Obama administration, as Obama named him on the Walther, or named Walther on the board of directors of the Export-Import Bank. And in the George W. Bush administration, he served as director of the U.S. Trade and Development Agency and was confirmed to that role by the United States Senate. Larry Walther now in a big role in the state of Arkansas. We also have news coming in about Atlanta getting ready for the likely indictment, indictment number one, two, let me count them up. Do I have enough fingers? Would be the fourth indictment of President Trump if indeed this happens, and it surely looks like it's going to happen. Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis is going to present her case to a grand jury this month, and the Fulton County Courthouse in downtown Atlanta has plenty of security already there. They've shut down some streets, and it looks... It's kind of like a war zone if you see the photos of Fulton County, Georgia right now. It's just just a shame. We will see what happens next. Flipping a light switch could be a new weapon in the fight against Alzheimer's. That is what's coming out of research from the University of Virginia that said light therapy may be the new tool to help manage early symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. Doctors at UVA stumbled upon the discovery while analyzing sleep patterns in mice with the memory loss illness. The findings suggest that enhanced light sensitivity may contribute to what's called sundowning, the worsening of symptoms late in the day, and could possibly spur sleep disruptions that are thought to speed up the disease in patients. Could be very welcome news here, as just a simple flipping a light switch on could be used to help fight Alzheimer's. i got a place I go to that I have multiple lights. I'm not an electrician, but if y'all know what the heck's going on and know a simple fix, this is kind of getting on my nerves. How about this story from Austin, Texas? The capital of the Lone Star State is going to start offering the ride-hailing service Waymo in Austin, the fourth major city to start this company's allowing it to be on its streets. Waymo is an autonomous vehicle company. And Austin would trail other cities that have already rolled it out, Phoenix, San Francisco, and Los Angeles, as Waymo's initial phase of operations will begin this fall with fully autonomous deployment. Waymo will wait to offer rides to the public until a few months later. So if you're looking for that ride down to some barbecue joint in Austin, you might have a car come pick you up and there's nobody driving it. It's all autonomous, as they call it. They even have some pretty fancy cars that are part of this thing. 
the photo accompanying the story has Waymo being propelled by a Jaguar car, as in the ones made of, I guess those are British cars, but yeah, how would you like to be picked up in a Jaguar with no driver? I'd be scared as heck, thinking, oh lordy, I hope this thing didn't crash. If so, you might want to um, save up. (laughs) And in our last headline of the day, Charlotte, North Carolina. It is not in NBA world the home of the Bulls. That would be Chicago. Charlotte's the home of the Hornets. But a bull was running around Charlotte in a big way. And police are actually, maybe you've seen this thing. Maybe it's hopefully been captured by now. There is a 900-pound bull that's on the loose in West Charlotte, North Carolina. This thing was last seen going around Moore's Chapel Road. Charlotte Animal Care and Control working with the owner who's trying to get information regarding the bull's whereabouts. The bull got loose on Monday evening when the owner was attempting to move it to a pasture and move it from there to an enclosed area as severe weather was coming through that area. That bull got spooked by the storm and escaped. I don't blame that bull. The owner of the bull worked with police to corral the bull into a trailer but were unsuccessful and stopped the search Monday before resuming it Tuesday. A SWAT team with Charlotte tried to locate the bull with heat-seeking drones. Had no luck. If you come across this 900-pound bull, police are asking you to maintain a safe distance and call 311 to provide the precise location Charlotte Animal Care and Control is working to learn if the owner even has a livestock permit. That's hard to believe that a 900-pound bull is hanging out in the city limits of Charlotte, North Carolina. But uh, they're on the west side. You better be looking out there for a huge bull. And that ain't no bull coming out of the Queen City today in our headlines across the southeast. When we come back, we got Megan Headwall. She's stopping by. She's going to be talking about something that's pretty near and dear to a lot of you. It's getting that proper Spotify playlist or getting whatever you're using for streaming audio, all that in line. But she's got some tricks and some tips of how to make your audio playlist just pop especially if you use it for things like working out or doing chores and more. It's going to be fun talking to Megan about all this, and she's stopping by in just a moment, so hang on for that. Before the hour's up, we've got a Southern History Spotlight, some birthday boys from both the Civil War and the war that goes on on gridirons across the NFL and college football. We'll have all that as we wrap up this final hour of the show about the South. We want to hear you here at Super Talk 93.1 on shows like The Y'all Show, The Patriot Pastor, and The Frankie Lack Show. We've got a text line that you can text us and participate in the program. That number is 731-410-7560. And the Super Talk 93.1 text line is powered by See Me Tree Service. They are a West Tennessee-based company, and they will help you with any of your tree removal problems, tree trimming, tree elevation, pruning, tree topping, stump grinding, and more. They're a small family-owned business that's licensed and insured, and you can call See Me Tree Service for a free estimate. Call them at 731-617-2236. See Me Tree Service for all of your tree removal or tree issues going on 
Give them a call for that free estimate. 731-617-2236. See me, Tree Service, powering the Super Talk 93.1 text line. Some good music there. Lady May on the Y'all Show. As we are winding through this final hour on this Wednesday edition, we got Megan Headwall back with us now to talk a little Spotify music and more. And, and Megan, I got to ask you, that song there from Kentuckian Tyler Childers, do you have Mr. Childers on your playlist? I might have one or two of his songs, but... You might want to consider yeah. adding Lady May when you get a chance. I think I will. All right. Speaking of Miss Megan and Mr. and Mrs. Spotify or whatever their gender identity is these days, <laughs> we're going to have some fun here for a few minutes. We're going to do something you and I have not done on the Y'all Show, Megan. We're going to get all technical. Are you going to be able to handle that? I'm going to do my best. I think you'll do it. <laughs> if you can run a town, you can run a playlist, I, I think. So, Megan, how much do you use these streaming services? Because I know I do a little bit, but I bet you do it a lot more. Yeah, I use Spotify about every day. Do you really? Why do you choose Spotify over the other options? I don't know. It's just something I started with, and I got comfortable with it, and it's really easy to use. So, um, yeah, And we, yeah. know, we know that some people tuning in right now are like, why in the world are they talking about this kind of stuff? But there's a lot of people out there who really don't know what all these names they hear are all about. So just for beginners here, Dr. Megan, Tell me what the difference is between Spotify and iTunes, and then you got Pandora and more. Just give me a, a brief Cliff Notes version of what these things actually are. Honestly, I think what it basically comes down to is just personal preference. They're all different streaming services. Some of them you can use for free, and others you have to pay and have a monthly subscription to it. So um, I think it's just based on preference and conveniency. Okay. Well, I know personally, if I want to just be amazed by songs, sort of like it's my own DJ over there in the corner playing my kind of music, I go to Pandora. That's what I use. Uh -huh. What do you think of Pandora? I can't really give an opinion. I don't really use it. I have a friend that would that I used to work with, and she used it all the time, and I didn't mind it. But like I said, I'm, I use what I'm comfortable with. So, so. Is, is Spotify, because I don't use Spotify that much, is Spotify sort of also – giving you that option of, of playing random songs that are within your wheelhouse. You love these songs, that, but you didn't necessarily go tell it to play that song at that time. Yes. Okay. So um, they kind of, Spotify will come out with like daily or weekly mixes, and it'll give you suggestions of songs that you're already listening to or songs that are very similar to what you like. All right. Well, we here in the South pride ourselves 
on music and our Southern musicians. And so I'm sure there are plenty of good Southern artists that have great playlists, or there's probably even various types of Southern styles of music that you can set up on these things. But there's other things, Megan, when we talk about things like Spotify, that we want to take a few moments and learn some of the tricks because I don't know about you. A lot of times when I'm listening to Pandora, it's when I'm out there slugging it on a five-mile walk. And, <laughs> and and it's tough out there when the road's flat and you're going on that five-mile walk. And I'm sure you probably, I mean, you're a lady that probably exercises just a little bit more than me. Um, do you have to have music when you're out doing your thing? Yeah, it. I like, yeah, listening to music when I'm working out, lifting weights. It, it kind of motivates you and gives your brain something to kind of do, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, in the meantime. And I do notice that sometimes when my headphones happen to die in the gym, I'm not quite as motivated as I normally am. So do you have a different type of music when you're doing weightlifting as opposed to cardio, for example? Um, no, not really. I would say I have a different type of music I like to listen to when working out compared to just kind of hanging out or driving down the road. Um, but I listen to a little bit of everything. When you're working out? Uh, yeah, when I'm working out, oof, I listen to rap music. And, what? Uh, like, okay, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're wrapping this interview up right now. <laughs> rap? I, it's not even music, it's rap. I know. I call it, like, trash rap. <laughs> it's not even good. It's just the beat and the rhythm of the music. I don't know. And then driving around and just kind of hanging out, I do, like, country music mm, yeah. okay you're awesome. coming coming back coming back, coming back a little bit i do myself <laughs> all right well megan headwall again with us here on the y'all show talking about some of the streaming music and the options that you have so with spotify have you discovered there's maybe some tips and tricks that people can figure out when they're out working in the yard or they have that exercise at the gym or they're trying to get that extra 20th mile in their run what, what have you discovered <laughs> Well, I started doing some research in part for this segment, but a lot of stuff like I didn't even realize. So on a lot of these streaming services, specifically Spotify, if you're like a certain artist or you're looking for a certain song, it might be hard to remember what the song, you know, the name was or anything like that. Um, So what you can actually do in Spotify is search the year um, that maybe around the song came out or a certain genre or style of music. I'm sorry, did you you call my name? No, I said genre. Oh, I thought you said genre. Okay, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Sorry. No, so you can search, like, you know, anything from the 1980s to 1990 and give it a search range, and it'll bring up music from those years. So that can be kind of helpful. Didn't realize that you could do that. that, That's in Spotify. Yes, this is all in Spotify. Uh, If you make a playlist and you accidentally delete it, um, you can actually rescue your previously deleted playlist. Um, you have 90 days to do it, but if you accidentally get rid of one, you can bring it back. So that's kind of nice. Does Spotify I, have like a cloud option or something like that? No. Um, I think it just kind of saves it in a trash bin within the app or on your desktop. Okay. You can retrieve it that way. Um, the other thing I didn't realize, which if you do pay for Spotify, they actually have like a family plan. And uh, it's just a little bit more than a regular premium account. But that way you can share it with um, family members or friends. Um, so that can be kind of, I don't know if Pandora or the rest of them 
do that. They probably do. Pandora, I've never paid a penny for. They just hit you with those ads periodically. Yeah, which I know if you pay for Spotify, you can go pat like skip past the ads. But um, like I said, their monthly plan, you can do up to six separate like accounts on it. So that's kind of nice. The other thing um, that's I like about Spotify, don't you hate it when you're singing along to a song and the artist gets the lyrics wrong? Or that's never or happened. Maybe- I get them right every time. <laughs> Right. Or, or maybe it is us getting it wrong. Spotify at the bottom, if you click onto a song, it actually will have a tab and you can pull up the lyrics as it's playing. That way, if you keep missing that line, you can figure out what they're saying. So that's kind of nice. You can finally get those lyrics you've been singing wrong for the past five years. Correct. Do you do that? Sometimes. If, I'll be curious. I'm like, am I even, is this even the right line? And I'll look and turns out I've been singing a song wrong for years. Well... <laughs> I mean, one of the guys that I had to tell people what in the heck is he singing is Morgan Wallen. And for, really? for example, that song Thought You Should Know, uh-huh. there's the line that says, tea on the dance floor or something like that. It's, uh-huh. what, it's what it sounds like, but he's, what he's saying is, still your only damn son. But it, 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 <laughs> the way he says it, it sounds more like tea on the dance floor or something like that. Listen to it next time. There's no way that it sounds like still your only damn son in that lyric. And I apologize, Mama, for cussing. (laughs) It's Morgan's fault and Megan. Morgan and Megan's fault. Morgan and Megan's fault. Um, The other thing that Spotify offers is if you have a favorite playlist, um, you can actually pin it to the top of all your playlists. That way you don't have to go searching for it every time you hop onto the app or onto it so that's kind of nice and convenient i've done that with a couple of my playlists so it's nice to be able to just click into my gym playlist without having to search it out so you have i'm sorry i'm an i'm an ignoramus when it comes to some of this stuff so you can have your own multiple playlists within spotify yeah you can create like a ton of different playlists um within spotify um so if you wanted to do it by genre or what you have walking playlist Mm -hmm. um so you can just do that, and then if you have a favorite one or are tired of searching one out, you can pin it to the top of the list. That way you don't have to scroll through all your playlists. Ah. You know, so. you're really kind of confusing me, and you're also intriguing me of what exactly you have as far as your playlist. So could I borrow your phone sometime? <laughs> to look through my playlist? Sure. Yeah, I, I want to I go work out the Megan way. I want to hear some of those rap songs. Or They're not even songs. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me let me let me go back and I don't know if Spotify allows you to to delete, but let me delete that comment. They also have on Spotify. I don't know if you listen to this. They have something called podcast. Yes, they do. And you can find the y'all show in Spotify. Daggummit! You ought to try. You ought to try working out at the gym, listening to yourself. Oh no! All motivation will go right out the door. I don't think so. Have you ever tried it? No, I know. I don't like the sound of my own voice. Well, I'm on here too, so I know when I'm talking, that blood pressure will get even higher. So, yeah, you need to listen to the y'all show while you're out there running that 40 mile sprint. Especially if we're talking about politics, you know, my blood pressure will go up at that point. Not really, not on this show. We, we're uh, kindred souls when it comes to that kind of stuff. We are, but it still gets me fired up. Speaking of that, I'm gonna try to pull up some. Uh, 
breaking news from Tuesday night that I have yet to cover on today's y'all, y'all show. But while I'm pulling that up, you go ahead. What else uh, tri- tricks and tips on Spotify can you share with us? Well, for the most part, that's kind of what I've got. Um, you can, with your playlist, you can, I guess, with Spotify, I didn't realize they had this. I guess there's an enhance option that you can find at the top of the playlist that you've made, which will automatically add extra, like, songs that fit in the same kind of style that is already in the list. So if you really like country music, you can hit the enhance button, and it'll add more country songs similar to what you already have in your playlist. So that way it saves you time seeking out new songs. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of nice. I'm going to have to start using that one. But that's kind of all I've got. All right. The breaking news I had was out of Mississippi when you started talking about politics. How about a general election set up for November between the incumbent there, Tate Reeves? Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. He's a Republican, right? Yes, he is. The, I actually listened to him speak. The 49-year-old won the primary Tuesday in Mississippi. And you know who he's going to be facing on the Democratic who? side? A who? guy named Brandon Presley, who is actually Elvis's cousin. Hmm. I, I don't think he's his first cousin, but he is from the Tupelo area, and he's going to be the Democratic nominee going up against Tate Reeves in Mississippi come November Seventh, when they have the general election in the Magnolia State. So that was the marquee race in Tuesday, the governor's race, but also the lieutenant governor's race. And I'm not going to go ahead and give you the official results of this because they're still counting as far as I know. It's a very tight race between the incumbent Delbert Hoseman and Chris McDaniel. So we'll have to get back with you on that. But that information right here we wanted to share before we get out of here talking to Megan since she likes to talk politics and listen to <laughs> that thing called rap <laughs> only when I'm working out <laughs> so what is your experience with iTunes um I don't have a whole lot of experience with it I mean I use it sometimes I've bought some songs but I don't really does Spotify give you the option to buy songs um you can't buy them you can download them i guess when you're listening offline but no you can't buy them individually okay that's one thing that itunes does allow you to do right yes that's correct we're going to get all this figured out one of these centuries (laughs) one of these days no centuries one of the maybe by the 22nd century we'll get this figured out megan always a pleasure to talk to you thank you for the research on this and i know it was tough work but uh, you you did it good job (laughs) All right. Thanks. And we will see you back here on Monday when we have Megan. Yeah, uh, go listen to that other stuff you listen to and come back here (laughs) with a positive attitude after you go work out with the Y'all Show, blaring through your earbuds or whatever you use when you're working out. Megan Headwall, everybody, thank you. Thanks. And we will have more of the Y'all Show coming right up after this break, so stay tuned. We're going to close today's show with some information about Southern history. We've got some folks from the South celebrating big birthdays today, including primetime Deion Sanders, plus Super Bowl MVP quarterback Doug Williams of the Washington Redskins. He's got a birthday today. We'll tell you a little bit more about both of those great football players and some Civil War history coming your way when we wrap up this Wednesday edition.
wrapping up this hour of the Y'all Show. And on this Wednesday Y'all Show, we got some birthdays as part of our Southern History Showcase. We've got some NFL birthdays that are happening today. Some guys that are pretty darn famous from that sport. But we have, first up, a pair of guys linked to the American Civil War who were born on this date in history. And these pair of generals explain just how screwed up the Civil War truly was and how it still affects this country. Because I'm telling you today about General William Thomas Ward, and I'm going to tell you about General Daniel M. Frost. One was a Confederate, one was a Yankee, one was born in the North, one was born in the South. The Civil War, the War of Northern Aggression, Mr. Lincoln's War, the Confederate War, as I just said, is a case study of craziness. Don't believe me? Listen to this. William Thomas Ward was born in Amelia County, Virginia. He died in Louisville, Kentucky. He died at age 70 back in 1878. This Virginia-born general would grow up mostly in Kentucky. He ended up going to schools in Saint and going to St. Mary's College in Lebanon, Kentucky. That's just south of Louisville. He started law in Greensburg, Kentucky, served in the Mexican-American War, ended up being elected to represent Kentucky in the United States Congress back in the 1850s. And when the Civil War broke out, this Virginia-born and Kentucky resident, if you will, at this time, was commissioned a brigadier general in the Union Army. And ended up fighting in the Atlanta campaign after the war, of which he survived. He was in the March to the Sea as well as the Carolinas campaign. But he ended up surviving the war, going back into private private practice of law in Louisville, where he practiced with his son and died in 1878. General William Thomas Ward, United States Army and a former congressman, again, from Kentucky back in the early 1850s. He was a Yankee general in the Civil War. And he was born in Virginia. Now, Daniel M. Frost. He was a Confederate general in the Civil War. Before the war, he was in the United States Army. He served in the Mexican-American War. He actually was a West Pointer. Graduating in 1844, fourth in his class, in the class of 1844. Daniel Marsh Frost was born in Duanesburg, New York. Served in the Army, ultimately would resign his commission in 1853 after the war in Mexico and more. Ended up going to Missouri, where he was elected to the Missouri General Assembly as a senator from Benton County. Stayed involved with the Army, although he had resigned earlier. Was involved with the Missouri Democratic Party. And worked for the expansion of slavery into the Kansas Territory while a part of the Missouri Democratic Party. When the Civil War broke out, this 
Yankee from Dwaynesburg, New York, sided with the Confederacy. And there in the Civil War, he went on to fight and be a part of the Confederate Army as he was commissioned a brigadier general and assigned to duty in Memphis, Tennessee under Sterling Price. And as part of his action in that portion of the South, he led a division in the Battle of Prairie Grove, also was involved in work around Little Rock, Arkansas. In August of 1863, his wife was forced from their home in St. Louis because of the family's Confederate sympathies, and she had to take her kids and move she moved to Canada for safety and refuge. Upon hearing the news, the general reacted quickly. He left the Confederate Army without first obtaining any kind of special approval. He went to Canada to join his family and was listed as a deserter by the Confederate Army. In December of 1863, the Confederate War Department officially dropped Frost from the muster rolls and he stayed in Canada for the rest of the war and did not return to Missouri until late 1865. How about that? That's one heck of a story. A guy, as a general, literally just deserts the army of which he was serving because his family had fled to Canada, and he somehow got up to Canada to be with them. After the war, he ended up going back to Missouri and wrote many Civil War post-Civil War articles trying to explain his thoughts on the war and his memoirs. He died in Hazelwood, Missouri, which is now Berkeley, Missouri, at the age of 77, and that was in the year 1900. A long life lived by this one-time American Army officer who fought in the Mexican-American War, a West Pointer, and a Confederate general that ended up deserting because he put his family first. General Daniel Marsh Frost, born this day in 1823. So there you have it. Two generals, both born on this day. One born in the South that went on to fight for the North. That would be William Thomas Ward. And then one born in New York State that went on to fight for the Confederacy, Daniel Marsh Frost. Does that explain how unbelievable the Civil War was here in this country. I do believe that's just one very small chapter in a unlimited amount of chapters that you could get into if you'd like to. I'd never heard of these guys, honestly, until I looked at the birthdays of today. Also, I want to let you know that a man born this date was Robert McCormick. If you are old enough to remember television in its earliest days, Robert McCormick was part of NBC News, and he was on the first NBC TV nightly news program, The Camel News Caravan, and he was on that with John Cameron Swayze way back when television first got going. And then, ultimately, he would recommend his Washington bureau person succeed him, and that guy ended up being... David Brinkley, and this man, Robert McCormick, born on this date in history. He died in 1985, by the way. Also born on this date, Doug Williams, the NFL quarterback of the Washington Redskins, who got his career going first with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 
and even played in the USFL briefly, was with the Redskins from 86 to 89, and the Grambling State alum helped lead the Redskins to a Super Bowl victory. Super Bowl champion of Super Bowl 22, and he was the MVP of that famous game that the Skins won way back in what year was that? 1980. Come on, 22. Where are you? 22. 22. Set, hit, hit, hit. Washington Redskins beat the Miami Dolphins. Was that was that the year we're talking about here? No, it had to have been 88. They beat the Broncos in San Diego, 42 to 10. That was, I think, the Doug Williams Super Bowl MVP year. I think I'm right on that. Redskins won a lot of championships. That's why it's bittersweet for them not to even be called that name anymore because of the great success they did have under that moniker. And they had a commanding grip of victories as the Washington Redskins. Doug Williams, born on this date in history, and he was born in Zachary, Louisiana in 1955. Doug Williams is today 68 years young. What is he up to these days? I'm not really sure. I know Grambling recently honored him by having a street named in his honor on the college campus. And I think he's also had some positions within the Washington franchise in recent years. I know Ron Rivera's close to him. So that's what's going on with him. The other birthday boy of the day, I know exactly what he's doing. That would be Dion Lewin Sanders Sr. Dion today is turning the ripe age of 56 years of old. Dion was born in Fort Myers, Florida, August 9, 1967. He went on to be a great college player at Florida State before being a Falcon, 49er, Cowboy, Redskin, and Raven. And today... You can find prime time as head coach of the Colorado Buffaloes. And he's got his birthday. I'm sure he's going to be all smiles. Prime time with a birthday today. Also celebrating, I didn't realize this lady was born in Norman, Oklahoma, but born on this day in 1964. Happy birthday to Hoda Kotb of the Today Show. as she was born to Egyptian Muslim parents in Norman. And she grew up in Morgantown, West Virginia and Alexandria, Virginia. Hoda Kotb, the Virginia Tech alumnae. She's the ripe age of 59 years old today. Happy birthday, Hoda Kotb. And that is a wrap on the Southern News, Southern Sports, and as we wrap things up, the Southern History of the Day on this, the Y'all Show. want to thank all of y'all for participating. Thanks again to Megan Hedwall for being on with us a few minutes back, talking all things Spotify and more. We'll be back here Thursday. Our featured school that we'll be telling you about as part of our college football tour, the Baylor Bears. So until we get back together on Thursday, y'all have a great rest of your day. Podcast available at y'all.com. Yeah.